What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang, and we are back to our regular recap and preview weekly episode on this Tuesday. And Pat, we're coming at you after a pretty dominant Villanova win over DePaul. And the people are wondering, the people were wondering since the game ended on Saturday, was this the version of DePaul you wanted? Oh, well, I I can tell you what, Javon Freeman Liberty is an absolute stud. Um, He was the version. Yeah, he he was. He's as good as advertised. I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway from watching DePaul here is, you know, and I actually think DePaul is better than what we saw because they were a complete one man show. Uh, out there against Nova with Freeman Liberty. David Jones is actually a really good player, and he just had a, a very off game, and on Genda didn't really affect things at all either. Um, listen, for DePaul, it's been a little better this year, but then they got in the Big East and got a dose of reality because they're currently sitting at 0-4. Mm. Um, so kind of, you know, a little give and take there. Little give and take. This is a good year for the conference. It was a really good non-conference slate for them. And then you're right, they got their their dose of what it means to be at DePaul. But Tony Stubblefield, I do think the vision and how he coaches from the sideline and watching him and post-game, he seems like a really stand-up guy. And he at least has a vision for the future, which might have not been the case under Dave Lado in those last few years. But 79-64 on Saturday. We're going to recap that. We will have positive and negatives like it was last week. We're probably going to have a lot more positives than negatives. And then, of course, with Xavier coming up on Wednesday this week, we'll preview that. We'll do whip around the Big East as usual. And then we've got a fun little segment at the end, checking in on the Big East Pick'em Challenge that we did with the full 40 at the beginning of the season, or at the beginning of Big East play. And for Pat and I, let's just say it's not going perfectly. Less so for me than it is for Pat. <laughs> <laughs> it's still early. We're only five games into the season, but fun to check sure. in on how that's going so far with all of us. Yeah. All right. Should we get right into DePaul then? Yeah, why not? I guess we got to start with with really the show. And the show was Colin Gillespie. And honestly, you, 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 could, you could throw Javon Freeman Liberty in there because... And the refs. How... And the refs. Oh my God. Please. I knew you were going to do that. I could have <laughs> bet money that you were going to do that. And I'm sure people feel the exact same way because this one was brutal. And I actually, I hope people have at least noticed that we really try not to talk about that. Yes. But this game was so blatantly apparent. And then I think the only other game where it was really, really bad was the one I did by myself. Right. Seton Hall. Yeah. That's actually, it's funny you say that. So I, I, yeah, I do have some numbers uh, as well to back up how atrocious oh this was. Um, but it's it's so right where I actually think the refereeing has been OK this season, which has been nice. But in the last week, we had the Seton Hall ref show and the DePaul ref show, which was the Seton Hall ref show on steroids. So yeah. uh, a rough week for refereeing in the Big East. DePaul especially and Jay Wright even said it and you can see him on the sidelines he looks like he's always having a conniption yes but for him to bring it up then in a post-game conference means that it's it's pretty legit and he was just talking about the transition and then actually I think it lends itself pretty well to the narrative of the type of teams that Villanova has played they went in that really physical matchup between Baylor and then they played Creighton and there were it, the ref wing wasn't great that game either but then you go against Seton Hall who doesn't have the size so you have to be less physical anyway and then Villanova quite literally couldn't do anything because they were getting whistles called. And then against DePaul, too, that's not a 
incredibly physically imposing team, Eric Dixon was basically immobilized because he couldn't use his strength or his body in any sort of way without being penalized. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like, I, I definitely think it went both ways. I just thought it was some of the worst refereeing I've, I've seen. I just I feel it, the same way. Yeah. It drives me nuts when it's the foul. I can much easier swallow when plays happen that should be fouls and are not called rather than every time there's the slightest bit of contact, it has to be whistled. That just drives me nuts because I think it really breaks up game flow and makes it mm. so hard for these guys to get in any sort of rhythm. And I think that's part of what you saw in the first half where things really felt incredibly disjointed for a long portion of it. I mean, I think Villanova wasn't really able to get into their offense. I'm not blaming that on the refereeing as much. I think it was a very <laughs> ugly start, but I, I don't think it's yeah. helpful when there's a whistle basically every single time down the floor. But it's funny you said just on the first half too, because I actually thought it was worse in the second half. There wasn't any sort of rhythm for DePaul at the end of the game. Again, to give the refs not the full blame, DePaul missed 11 of their first 12 shots in the beginning of the second half. Oh, yeah. But there was no sort of let the boys play. I mean, my friend Aaron texted me, let the boys play halfway through this game. Oh, yeah. And that usually doesn't happen. It was that blatant to anybody watching. It was bad. I guess I'll go to the numbers now because I, I might as well. So 44 fouls were called uh, between both teams through the entirety of the game. And then there were 52 free throw attempts, 52 free throw attempts in the game. That's that is wild to have that many uh, attempts from the charity stripe. I honestly can't wrap my head around that many stoppages to send guys to the line. And, and that's part of why it just, there, there wasn't a rhythm funny enough. Like as we get to the positives, a big part or big reason why Villanova won this game, they shot 20 of 22 from the foul line. So obviously mm. very, very important there that they shot 91% and 20 of those points came from the line. DePaul, of course, had plenty of attempts. They had 30 uh, and only shot 77%, which is still not terrible, but within 30 attempts, they only made 23 of them. Yeah, and also 52 fouls were more fouls than field goal attempts that either Villanova or DePaul oh, had. That's that's sickening. That's just <laughs> sickening. That is awful. But you're right. It was actually an impeccable free throw shooting performance from both teams, mm -hmm. especially Nova. But Freeman literally Freeman Liberty had 10 points from the free throw line. All eight of Brandon Johnson's points were because he made his free throw. So it was weird in that way. It was weird because there was no rhythm. It was weird because the game lost the physicality that you seemingly always find in a Big East game too. It lost all of that. But we hate, I mean, on the flip side, we hate when Villanova misses their free throws and they didn't yes. do any of that against DePaul. Dri drives me nuts uh, when they miss yeah. foul shots, but they were very fundamentally sound. And as we've seen, because it gets now brought up on basically every single broadcast for a game Villanova plays, they're the best free throw shooting team in the Big East. And you know, they're Did you know they're, that, Pat? Yeah, they're right. The best free throw shooting team in the Big East. What? Take take a shot every time you hear that during the broadcast. <laughs> you might not make it through. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's really important that, that Villanova is able to execute here down the stretch, because especially in a conference where we talk about it so much about how razor thin the margins are going to be. I mean, free throw shooting, it can certainly come down to on any given night. And we've seen that Villanova has an ability, you know, not just in their guards, the big men as well. Slater's so good from the line. Eric Dixon really impresses me with how, yeah. you know, reliable he is at the line. It's important. And it showed up again here today or on Saturday. Yeah. And the silver lining, obviously these numbers were inflated because of how very trigger happy the refs were, but Villanova isn't getting to the line that much. 
if they're not driving as much as they did. So another positive, especially in the second half, Villanova continues to penetrate and those numbers continue to creep up. The paint numbers continue to get better. They're less reliant on the three. These shooters are becoming more efficient because they have more options. And it just makes me so happy to watch. I mean, the amount of time we have spent on this podcast talking about this issue, talking about the reliance on the three, talking about how different scores can emerge. Dixon, Slater, Samuels, those numbers, especially offensively, don't pop off the page, but they're still able to get things done from the free throw line because they're driving. And that's exactly what needs to happen. Once again, they're not taking an insane amount of field goal attempts from mid range or three because they're finally exploiting their strengths, which is going low in the post. Four of 13 from three in the first half, five of nine from three in the second half. Yeah, so, insane. you know, cut down on the threes a little bit, made one more. And as you said, they got to the basket. And I, I think that was a really big key. It's funny because when you think of this game, I think a lot of us will separate it into a tale of two halves. And there certainly mm-hmm. are differences. And I've got some to talk about here. But if you just look purely at Villanova's field goal percentage, they actually shot 50% in the first half. In the second half, you know, you think of kind of the the barnstorming performance that they had. They only shot 4% better in the second Mm. half. It was just at 54. So I think the free throws uh, had a big uh, part of that and that they were just at the line so much. But uh, again, it kind of shows that maybe offensively it wasn't as different. It was more the defensive uh, side of the game, which we'll talk about a little bit. That's exactly what I was going to say. The defense largely stepped up. And I just looked at the stats and you were right, Pat. Villanova is now 35.7% from three-point range. You called it. Mm, uh, you, you know, I had that. It was, was waiting to get to that point, but you were going to toot your own horn. Uh, I'll toot it for you. Don't worry. Thank thank you so much. They shot 41% from three in that DePaul game is over 35% for the first time since the St. Joe's game. So we talked about it. We predicted it with, you know, Brendan Riley. When was this team finally going to get back over that number? Well, they hit it on Saturday. Yeah. So I have a question for you. I'm looking back over their last few wins and they've played some pretty competent offenses they played Seton Hall they played Xavier Creighton the first time they lost to them was obviously an exceptional offensive team which they haven't shown since Mm. but in every one of their wins the teams have scored less than 70 points so I guess my question is they scored 80 points against DePaul that that's a little bit of an outlier they're still scoring between 70 and 79 points Do you think this team will ever have to go back to that reliance on the three? Have they completely shifted what they need to do because opposing teams were game planning so well against them? Do you think this range of 70 to 80 points will be enough when they have to face some really, really good offenses potentially in March? It is a fantastic question because of the question that I was thinking about was you know, where does the trust lie in this team yeah. offensively or defensively? Because funny enough, you know, as we say, Ken Palm, they're seventh in the country right now in offensive efficiency. But when I look at this team, the offense still scares me a mm-hmm. bit because I think about what happens if a Gillespie or a Moore has an off night. And we haven't seen that the last couple of games because the two of them have been fantastic. I believe that's actually your last two Big East players of the week. I think yes. Gillespie had it the week before and Justin was announced as Big East player of the week earlier today. Um, but defensively, I am so, so impressed. I I think back to the beginning of the season when we talked about how scared we were of what this team's defense might look like. 
And what it has turned into is so much more than I could have imagined with, with how they all move, you know, that the help defense has gotten so much better. I think the rotation's better. You know, we've seen Jay kind of now show a ability to kind of cycle through defenses, depending on game situations and momentum and things like that. I mean, holding Creighton to 41 points is very impressive. They held Xavier to 58 that game at the pavilion mm-hmm. right before Christmas uh, even Baylor, I know, is a nightmare game. They only scored 57 points. No, they played Baylor, really good defense. Baylor's a damn yeah. good offense. So yeah. I I know I'm kind of dancing around your question and answering it in a different <laughs> way. But what I'm telling you is while the offense, I still don't feel awesome about, though I think Gillespie and Moore are really the, the top-level scorers. Defensively, they've made so many strides that I, I'm feeling more comfortable with that kind of realization on offense. Yeah, and I like that answer because it almost makes my question a moot point. Like, it really doesn't matter as long as they're able to win in specific situations. Mm -hmm. They can win ugly against a really good Tennessee defense. They can win pretty against a DePaul team that struggles on offense. So you just kind of flip the switches a little bit. The defense is going to step up. Maybe the – I was going to say maybe the defense becomes this team's strength. I don't ever think that will be the obvious answer – I agree with you, though, besides these last few games from Gillespie and Moore, and maybe this signals the change, we hadn't seen a guy step up and control a game. Again, Gillespie and Moore have done that for, what, the probably last four games, Mm -hmm. three games, which has been really, really nice to see. Hopefully that continues. If not, it's going to go back to the reliance of more offensive production from Slater and Samuels. And then relying on that defense to shut down teams. Like you said, that Baylor performance, if not for how bad, they, how historically Historic, bad they were on yeah. offense, that might have been their best defensive performance, literally. Yeah, they, they look good there. And I guess part of why I go with it, too, is that, you know, Jermaine Samuels, I've talked about, I still don't think he's just he's giving this team what they need on offense. No. And, and I think that could come back to bite them. Uh, mm-hmm. later in the season and Brandon Slater, you know, I've talked about how excited I am for Slater and, and the progression that he's made and the strides he's made this season. We've seen him kind of go back to the hesitant Slater these mm-hmm. past couple games. I believe he only has one field goal attempt. The last three halves combined. Uh, it's a lot of the jump stop, you know, pump fake at the, at the three point line and then just moving the ball around. We're not seeing him attack the basket. We are certainly not seeing him put up uh, the threes that we had seen him. Uh, attempt earlier in the season. I do wonder if that ankle injury that he's dealing with is worse than has been let on. And that might be why you're not seeing too much scoring output, not even output, but just attempts from him. So with Samuel still kind of struggling with Slater taking a little bit of step back and aggression, I, it makes me be a little reluctant to fully go in on that offense. But then again, you see, you know, what Gillespie and Moore did. Caleb Daniels coming back was huge, you know, giving them 11 points. Yeah. yeah. That, that three point shot off of the bench. I think we're continuing to see Eric Dixon. I actually was really impressed with what I saw from Eric Dixon in the, especially looking at, he was aggressive underneath the rim. A lot of the time he'll get, you know, rebounds or balls underneath and he's going to look to kick it out or he's going to dribble with it and try to find out some options. He just went straight up with the ball Mm. on, uh, on Saturday. And I think that that's a big development to try to get him to use that body and use that strength that we've talked about this season uh, to try and grow on offense. So kind of some give and take from the offense where you feel good about where your stars are. You want a little bit more from the role players. uh, But, but overall, I I can't say that I, I came away with this game upset. Yeah. And you texted me after the game and you said, I can't believe people still slander Colin Gillespie. And this was once more 
one of those games. And it honestly shows just how good Moore and Gillespie can be because Slater and Samuels have have been non-existent yeah, offensively for the past few games. And Villanova has looked their best that, that they have all season. So that says something about how good offensively Moore and Gillespie could be. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I actually think this is the best Dixon has looked on offense in a, in a few games. I'm impressed. We've mentioned it before, but he's so he uses his body so well in a physical manner, but he's also so light and versatile on his feet that he's able to go up with it. But then he's also able to make a really nice move against a guy who might be bigger than him and still go up and make that basket. So I thought that was really good. Caleb Daniels is an integral part of this team. And I know that. So somebody tweeted at me and mentioned that they had seen, I think it was the UCLA game when Caleb was on the bench and the team looked a lot better. And he was wondering what the plus minuses were when Caleb was on the bench versus what he, what it is when he's on the floor. That honestly doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that Caleb Daniels can give you 10 points off the bench on a given day. And when this team is struggling with the role players that we just talked about, that is not only valuable, it's everything. Mm -hmm. So yes, this team does need Caleb Daniels. Yes, there are a lot of parts of his game that needs to improve, but he is integral. I really felt that even more poignantly than usual after DePaul. Yeah, I listen, we've discussed it. Caleb Daniels has become so important to this team because of while, as we've talked about, the bench depth has gotten a little longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, the past couple games, which is great with Longino Antoine and all of that. But Caleb Daniels was still the one guy that can come off the bench that, you know, is a proven score. I mean, the guy's got a thousand career points, you know, in, in his collegiate career, you, you can put the ball in his hands and, and feel comfortable enough for him to be able to knock down some shots. I can't say you felt that way the second half of the season last year, or no. even, you know, the first couple games this year, there were some struggles for it, but I, I am at the point now where I trust him. You know, he, mm-hmm. I think he's looked really, really good for a big enough sample size at this point where, you know, you're going to have to trust Caleb Daniels to go out there and play the 23 minutes that he did on Saturday, knowing that he brings something else to the table. He's a physical guard. He had the big dunk as well, going down the baseline. He's still a really solid rebounder. Uh, you know, turnovers will be there and the fouls will always be there. I will not uh, make fun of him for the four fouls on Saturday because the refs <laughs> called everything, but we know Caleb usually doesn't uh, get any cheap ones called on him uh, with how he plays defense. Um, so yeah, no, no, I'm, it, that is the long way of saying Caleb Daniel is really important to this team. And especially as the Slater and Samuels struggle to find their offensive game, he becomes that much more important. Yeah, it's funny you and I are both there because I hadn't explicitly had that thought that I trust Daniels right now. And I hadn't really I think felt we that. have to. We yeah, have to I with how, really what we're that. seeing from the from uh, other players on the team. Yeah. And w- just the point about how this offense is going to go up against really, really competent offenses. When I look at the Big East schedule, I immediately go to UConn. Watching mm. the way UConn plays on offense, that is going to be Villanova's test. Because flip switching a little we can obviously go back to offense but switching a little to defense now javon freeman liberty absolutely torched nova in the first half uconn has about four players that can torch villanova throughout the entire game and one huge question i had at the end of this game is who can guard that type of electric score because yes the different versions of defenses that jay threw out 
throughout the course of the second half. And I did think the man-to-man defense on him got better as well. But when you think of the Champennies, the Bryce Aikens, when we mm. see Seton Hall again, the Jared Rodens, the RJ Coles, who's going to step up on Villanova's defense and and lock a guy down? Because if, if uh, DePaul, excuse me, had better role players, I think this game would have been a lot closer than it gotten because the key was shut down JFL and shut down DePaul. And it's not going to be that easy against some of these other Big East teams. Yeah, it's a great point because as I wax poetic about this defense, it is concerning that DePaul is in mostly has one guy that can really, really punish you. As I said, they, they've got some decent players in it, but there is one person on that team that can be the one to kill you. And it is Freeman Liberty. And yeah, he scored 22 in the first half and Villanova looked like they had no answer for him. The positive is it looks like they did make the adjustments in the second half right. and held him to 12. So that was a lot better, you know, defensively as a whole too. DePaul shot 44% in the first half and went down at 25% in the second half. So I do think you saw uh, some better defensive performance from Nova there, but your outstanding point of, you know, being able to, to key in on those top players, as you said, for DePaul, there's really one guy, especially with David Jones having an off game, you go with some of these other teams in the big East there are more options that can, can hurt you. And, you know, yeah. you'll see it on Wednesday night. I was Xavier, just going right? to say, yeah. yeah, exactly. I really think that as important as it was for Villanova to get back on track against Xavier at the pavilion and blew them out of the arena in the second half, this Xavier team is so much better than that. And mm. uh, I, I expect to see a big showing from them at Sintas on Wednesday. Oh, that's interesting. I like that prediction. This game might mean more at the time that Xavier visited the fan the first time that was like oh my god the wheels are going to absolutely fall off the the earth is just going to stop spinning if villanova loses this game at home but if they can go on the road and beat xavier they're continuing to prove themselves they beat a seton hall team but that was a depleted seton Mm -hmm. hall team they beat, beat xavier at home but that was at home can they go on the road zach Fremantle is seemingly fully healthy now they've got a really wide array of scores. I mean, you talk about it. Nate Johnson's their leading scorer. He only has 12.7 points. Adam Kunkel can go out there and score 25 points like he did yep, against Butler did. last week. So it, that fits in perfectly to the point we were just talking about, about multiple players on Villanova have to have great defensive performances to stop a team like that. This game on Wednesday night is the show me game for me. Yeah. I, uh, I'm so locked in and interested to see how Villanova comes out. They've got some good wins. Like, let's be very clear. That Xavier win was incredibly important. I know Seton Hall was shorthanded. It was a road game. So I give them that in the dominant fashion in which they beat Creighton uh, after the, the blowout loss was super important. But this is the game against a high, high quality team on the road you know, with that that rough environment of Sintas, a place where Villanova has at times struggled in the past, this is the game where I look at and say, you know, Ken Palm has them ranked as number five in the country, meaning Villanova right now. You know, I, this is the type of game that I look at to see, can you really vindicate that, that type of ranking? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I'm thinking as we're talking about this, I don't know if it's even fair to bring this up anymore because Colin has had such a good stretch of games, but I feel like he still needs to drop that 20 plus on a team like Xavier. Do we think, do you think we're past that? I I think we are just because I think he's had so many strong performances this yeah. year. And I think he's come up whenever they really need him to. I am looking for the Slater Samuels to say, mm. okay, 
show up and, and you know give me something on offense. And I want to see if Justin Moore can keep it going. You know, he, yeah, this is too. the hottest stretch, most consistent stretch we've seen from him so far this season, and they're going to need it again. Yeah, when they showed that graphic that it was the most points. I may, it might not have been most point something about since it was something since Mount St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the more that we saw night one. Yep. And everyone thought what, I don't even know if a ceiling exists on this <laughs> year for him and in the past couple games and he, he showed it. And that's why he's biggies player of the week. And that actually reminded me of something I meant to say when we were talking about Slater and Samuels and the offensive look right now, I remember talking about this a couple weeks ago and it seems like almost immediately after that conversation, we saw it and it was us questioning why more and Gillespie weren't driving to the hoop more. And then it changed. It did. So now that they've gotten so much better at that and you've seen it, there's just a complete offensive switch from putting less shots up to driving and kicking, which has been Villanova's MO for years, but midway through this season, they definitely lost that identity a bit. But anyways, I wonder now that Moore and Gillespie are doing that, it almost pushes Slater and Samuels back out to the three-point line so they become the three-point option that Moore or Gillespie have to kick to. Mm, interesting thought. I see what you're saying. Right? And and maybe because they're not those pure shooters, obviously, that Gillespie or Moore would be if the roles were reversed. Reversed, yeah they feel like they're in this weird spot where they put up a three Samuels has seemingly been traumatized by that because he missed so many for so long, but they're also not driving. So something's got to give. Yeah, I I agree that I want to see more of it. We have seen a lot more of it. Um, I would just like to see those other players start to get a little more involved with that uh, as well. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see if Brian Antoine gets a little more involved in the offense too. It, it feels I was like just going to say, yeah, yeah it, it feels like defensively. He's been a revelation, I think for this team and, and how good he's been. I know he put up a couple threes, uh, earlier in the week against Creighton. You know, I think, I believe he scored a, a mid range jumper, uh, here against DePaul, but you didn't really see him play too much of an active role in the offense. You know, I, I wonder if as he gets more comfortable and as he gets more time on his legs out there for, for game time and such that we see him start to become more of a scoring option. Yeah. I actually noticed the same thing. This is probably the least amount of shot attempts that he's taken since he, he really got, it. and he only played 13 minutes. Yeah. 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 Probably the shortest amount of time he's played as well. Interesting. Yeah. Caleb played well. So I, yeah. I think that that probably went into it. I have one more point before we move off to it. Is okay. there anything else you want to get to? No, no, that was it for me. Cool. So I, if you remember from a couple episodes back, you know, we discussed kind of Villanova's struggles with closing games out in the last mm. 10 minutes about, you know, all these different games and how it was usually negative and even against the lesser teams, barely positive. I think pretty much since we went through that report, they started big East play. And for the last four games, you know, their their four-game winning streak here, uh, taking out the Creighton game, they are plus 12 against Xavier, plus four against Seton Hall, plus nine against Creighton, and plus seven against DePaul. So finally starting to put together a little bit of a run of closing things out strong in the second half. And unsurprisingly, Villanova has won all four of those games. Very unsurprisingly. I think we should just start talking more things into existence and try manifesting it that way. All right. Jermaine Samuels hit some threes. He's going to have nine field goal attempts and he's going to make seven of them. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, uh, I think it's a don't... really good point. No, but it's it's not surprising at all that this team is finding its offensive groove, and then they're also finding their legs in those last ten minutes because you're getting so much production from Brian Antoine and Caleb mm-hmm. Daniels. I... It all it all clicks into place. I don't think it's a coincidence that things have gotten a little better as the bench has gotten a little longer. Yeah. But you know, we don't need to go through that. Um... No, I actually do have one more point though. Yeah. You did see serious minute decrease from Chris Art. From Chris Archidiakono yes, in Caleb's first game back with Brian Antoine in the lineup. So you and I both agree that we think that will be the trend moving forward. Maybe Longino and Arch are more on the same track now as opposed to Arch and Antoine or Arch and Daniels. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll probably leave it at that. <laughs> no, it, listen, it's an interesting development to continue yeah. to follow because I don't know how he's going to do it. I, I know we agree on how we think it should be handled, but mm-hmm. um, I guess we'll, we'll get his, another sample on Wednesday night. Yeah, as his offensive production continues to stall out, which I think is a nice way of putting it, mm-hmm. he gets beat on defense and Antoine doesn't. He's still good at taking care of the ball, but now you've got Antoine and Moore and Gillespie in front of him. So it definitely feels like a little bit of a shift in identity for him right now in terms of what he can bring. I would say so. Yeah. So something to watch, something to watch three minutes from Arch on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we touched on it. I have a couple more keys for this Xavier game, but I totally agree with you. I really think, and again, this is something that every single important game that Villanova has, we're going to circle it, but if Villanova can go on the road and get this win and play and win pretty, that is a huge stamp on the resume. Yeah, it certainly is. That this is a game that, as I said, I'm I'm really circling to see what can go out there. And even if they lose this game, it is not an end of the world type Definitely scenario. No. Because I love this Savior team as kind Xavier's of too good. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Of what we've talked about, it's interesting when you look at this team and you say, "So what's happened since they lost that game to Villanova?" Well, not much because yeah, they nothing. had they had two <laughs> games postponed with COVID. I believe against UConn and Seton Hall, if I'm if I'm quoting that correctly. Uh, I think it was maybe Georgetown. Oh, you're 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 correct. Yeah. You're correct. Uh, I believe two, it. It was schools with COVID issues. It wasn't. Yes, it wasn't Xavier's them. issues. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I, that's what I get for trying to quote it off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but so they've only played one since then, which was on this past Friday. They played against Butler and they destroyed them at Hinkle putting up 87 points. So it's funny because there's not too much we can look at for the savior team since that Villanova game. Funny enough, we also weren't able to talk about that, that Xavier Villanova Mm. game because it was during our break. Um, So it's tough to kind of draw too many conclusions since then for, for this game, other than Xavier's really good, you know, to, to your point, Fremantle looks like he's basically back to back to normal at this point played 26 minutes over the weekend. They can hit you in a bunch of different places, which is why they're so dangerous. Uh, you know, they, they can play eight, nine deep and with some three of them will usually play over 15 minutes coming from the bench. So, you, you know, they can hurt you there. Paul Scruggs is their version of Colin Gillespie. Um, Kobe Jones has actually been struggling a little bit lately, and I still think he's much better than he's shown. Uh, I could go player by player on Xavier because I really <laughs> do enjoy watching them play. But what do you think? I was just going to say, you named five of these guys that could be the difference maker. You didn't even mention Nate Johnson, who I said is their leading scorer, yep. and Adam Kunkel, who had 25 against Butler. So that th- that's the main up. thing. <laughs> they have so many options. And when I was looking at their stats, again, Nate Johnson, 12.7 points per game. 
more averages more, and he's not even Nova's leading scorer. So my immediate thought was, do they have enough scoring? And the mm-hmm. answer is yes. They just distribute oh, the scoring yeah. so oh, well, yeah. and it can be a different guy every single night. I mean, Odom played really well against Villanova, and he's yes. another guy that we never would have even mentioned if we're just doing a straight preview. I just had a couple thoughts from the first game. Xavier wasn't themselves because they hadn't had an off shooting night. And I mm-hmm. do think that's sometimes a problem for them when they do have an off shooting night, they don't adapt super well. So they started turning the ball over. They were Oh, for 14 from three in the second half. And that was why Villanova was able to run away with it. They had a lead at half Xavier did. If they start making shots that's when they get really dangerous because they also have the size down low and they're a good rebounding team but I'm definitely going to be watching who the guy is that steps up and whether he can put it all on his shoulders or if it's going to be more evenly spread out yeah you're right and you you went exactly to where I kind of wanted to going back to that game because I think that's basically as much as we can do with Xavier <laughs> having that layoff. Um, so Eric it was a Dix- 17 day layoff, by it's, the way, it's wild. Um, Eric yeah. Dixon was great in that game, which I think is really important. As we say, going up against a team that has a strong front court. So that's really important to see, you know, more and Gillespie kind of did uh, more so of what we've seen lately from them. And if you remember that was Caleb Daniels really coming out and crushing it with 16 points uh, off the bench as well. Slater and Samuels were still in their kind of slump where they only combined for six points. And what uh, you kind of referenced it with through them in this game is that Villanova held them to 20 second half points. Uh, and I think it plays into what we've talked about, how the defense has been so much better. You know, I do not expect Xavier to be held to 20 and a half again, mm-hmm. especially playing at home. I think they have too many options. And to exactly to your point, I think they just played into getting way too three happy. And it just, it, it, it nothing was working uh, for them there. So I, I see more of a uh, regression to the mean um, in, in this game for them. Yeah, Fremantle Scruggs and Nate Johnson were combined eight for 25. You're not going to see that again. Probably you also not. might not see 16 from Daniels in 30 minutes, but Xavier is too talented and they're too well coached to be that one dimensional again. And the thing is, I wonder if this is their rust game. Yes, the Butler game, their first game back was their rust game, mm-hmm. but the difference between Butler and Villanova hmm. is pretty apparent. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to look. I guess the caveat to that is because they, because they weren't dealing with COVID that probably doesn't mean they had any mispractices, right? They were still out there every day. They just had to practice for 17 days straight, which is awful <laughs> for them. But maybe that's a slight advantage to them. They didn't lose any of that team chemistry that is, seemingly so apparent after these teams have COVID layoffs and miss two weeks, you know, that's so obvious to see and Xavier might not have to deal with that. Yeah. This is a really fun game. Um, I I'm really looking forward to this. And what this is, as we said, this is a marker for Villanova and it also is a difficult game. It, it sums or not. It sums up. It concludes a really difficult stretch to start biggies play here for Villanova, because as they started Creighton, Xavier, Seton Hall, Creighton, DePaul, Xavier. After this game, their next stretch until they play UConn on February 5th is Butler, Marquette, Georgetown, DePaul, St. John's, Marquette. It it is more of the underbelly. Now saying that, we know how good this conference is and that every game is going to be a dogfight, but 
it is not the top tier teams that they have played to start conference play so far. That's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. I, I really don't think Marquette is a joke. I really don't think St. John's is a joke. No, no, no. But this is the chance for Villanova to go on a pretty nice 8-0 run, mm-hmm. a pretty nice 9-0 run yep. here. Ride that momentum right into probably the easiest part of the schedule because, my God, February is going to be insane. Gauntlet. Yep, gauntlet. Gauntlet. So that, that's, oh, my God. That's exactly what I'm saying. If they can clear this hurdle with Xavier, they have a chance to try and put some space between them and some other big yeah. teams uh, in, in the standings. I say that Providence doesn't look like they're losing right now as both of them are tied at the top uh, of the mm-hmm. big East standings. But, you know, point stands that if they can really get past this one, put together a win streak, it should position them very solid for the rest of the season. Yeah. And that be, I mean, again, Marquette beat Providence by 30 plus points. I can't so believe we, that. We say this and we truly have no idea what's going to happen, nope. but it's the overarching idea of building that momentum, staying hot. It's something Jay Wright has done for years and years and years, which is respecting the opponent. And I think actually DePaul did a really good job of that. They started the first half really, really hot. So Villanova stays humbled. They're going to go into these games hot, but you're right. This is when they start building that run. And this is when they start climbing the rankings too. They went from 19 to 14 in this week. That's a big jump. Definitely. Speaking and of Ken Palm keeps going up. and Ken Palm. Exactly. Speaking of yeah. rankings, you want to check in with our full 40 stuff? Oh yes. So I'm going to let you take this because I'm still licking my wounds a little bit. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed about how we've done. So I think far. we're, we're mostly all licking our wounds yeah. except for Rob, but for, you know, everyone that remembers, we did an episode probably about a month ago. Now at this point where we did a big East Pick'em challenge with the full 40, Chris and Rob from over there. And it was a ton of fun. We had such an awesome time and we're five games into the big East gauntlet so far for Villanova so we thought what about it was a perfect time to check in and see how those standings are going so we'll start with things in first Rob is currently perfect right now sitting at eight points in first he did predict that Creighton win to kick things off and has yeah, hit that was a big one yeah that was the big thing and then hit everything else so far I am currently sitting in second right now on six points. My one blemish was that Creighton game. And then we've got Emma and Chris coming in at four points. I had Seton Hall winning on the road, right? Uh, Seton Hall winning at home. At home. Yeah, right. Villanova losing on the Yeah, Seton Hall at home. Fun fun way to look at it, yes. (laughs) I know. Also, that's such a bummer. And that's such a bummer about COVID in general. That would have been such a different game if they had those guys. Those big guys. Did you see the way Aiko Biagu played against UConn? Oh, my God. That game was so much fun. I think I'm pretty okay with the win. So I'm going to be, I'm going to stop talking. Villanova <laughs> won, so that's what matters. There's also, for in, in terms of these standings, there is a lot of time left oh, for yeah. things to change around. So, And there was a lot of deviancy between what the group picked. So yes. there's some chances to, to get yourself up. But we are so curious to hear how the rest of you are doing. So please tweet at us and let us know. Did you pick Seton Hall? Did you pick Creighton? Are you with me at the bottom? Tell me how you're feeling. Uh, speaking of of uh, deviating for the game on Wednesday, you were the only one that picked Villanova. Oh, that's right. Yes, the rest of us. Oh, you guys Xavier. are going down. Do you still <laughs> agree with that? Uh, I may think Xavier is going to win this game, but really, yeah, X is good, especially at home. But oh my gosh, I actually feel even more confident that Villanova is going to win this. Oh, I like that it. Hot streak. That's what oh, I, I want to hear. Yeah, All right, I'm back at top. I'm back <laughs> See, there you go. So I knew I, I knew I'd give you some second. Thank you, right there. Pat. <laughs> of yeah, course. big opportunity for you. So there's our standings. We'll we'll be sure to update throughout the season. It's a ton of fun to do. And we had, a, as we said, we had a great time with those guys. Yeah. 
So speaking of the Big E, should we do our rep- whip around? Yeah. Yeah. And this weekend was a big one. I was I sat on my couch, I think, for eight hours straight on Saturday. It, the Nova game ended. No, it was St. John's Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, right into Villanova, right into the, the Chiefs game, right into the Cowboys-Eagles game. It was bliss on it, Saturday. It was pretty great, especially as someone with COVID right now and in quarantine. Yes. Uh, I also did not leave. Uh, my bed uh, for that and watch all of those games in a row and especially the big East games. I mean, Saturday was so good at uh, the, the Seton hall game, you know, I, I missed overtime and I had to watch it on the highlights because I switched over to Villanova, but the back and forth from that UConn game, that was one of the most high quality games I can remember watching this season where it, you know, it was teams making shots. It wasn't just a, a, you know, a drought of offense or a, a ton of fouls or just a mess anywhere. It was so high quality. It was so much fun to watch. And and Bryce Aiken and, and Gary Richmond are, especially Aiken, I know Richmond, this is more the, the one-off type game. They're tough for Seton Hall. They really are. Yeah. Again, Seton Hall is winning games and you're not seeing Jared Roden pop off the page. And that is huge. And you are a better fan than me because I missed the beginning of the Nova game to watch the end of this game. Uh, trust me, it was a better decision because the first part of the Nova <laughs> game was a mess. So. Yeah, I was like, you know what? It's DePaul. I can miss the first three minutes and watch the end of this game. It, exactly. And Providence as well. You know, that St. John's gave them a good fight, especially in the first half. Providence absolutely charged by them down the stretch and ended up blowing them out, uh, which is really impressive. Ed Cooley's Friars just keep on winning. <sighs> they provide such a mismatch. And just quickly on the other game too, I was so disappointed that when Nova played Seton Hall, we didn't get to see this version of Kadari Richmond. And you're right. Mm. This will probably be his season high. It might He might not even score more than 20 points for the remainder of the season. But that game was about really, really high-quality offense. But, of course, it came down to which defense could get the biggest stop. Yep. And, and that is what made that game so amazing. And you're right. Providence, I didn't realize how fast they played until they played St. John's. And maybe that was St. John's doing. But they have everything they have big men they have really good scores they can play high high a fast pace they play good defense they're tough man they're so good. i don't want to give them credit but you have to besides that marquette loss and they lost to virginia earlier this season which i honestly don't feel like is a horrible loss because virginia is such a good defensive team providence is legit they're good they're really good. They're so much better than I thought they were going to be. I, yeah. I didn't think they were going to be able to score, and they have shown they can score. So, um, yeah, they, they are tough. Uh, also, Friday night games in the Big East as well. They were both blowouts, so we don't have to focus on the games perhaps, but I do love that the Big East taking advantage of Friday night games. Again, especially oh. as someone with COVID right now, to be able to just sit there, hang out, and watch those games is a, a ton of fun. And honestly, John Rothstein was tweeting about it a ton on Friday about how important he thinks it is for the conference. It's just a nice little differentiator they have. Can I say it reminds me of the old Big East in Dana O'Neill's book? Oh, Big Monday. Yeah, that's the whole thing, right? Like differentiating themselves. It's the team. It's the games that you have to watch because there are no other games on. I love that. Of course, they were absolute blowouts. Yeah, of course. Exactly. But no, I, I feel the same way. And if you haven't read Dana O'Neill's book, it is phenomenal. Yeah, it was awesome. Really, really interesting. And it ends, by the way, with a Jay Wright quote. Uh, I love yeah. that she ended it that way. Um, Very so, cool. Yeah, so all, all good. And then one game to look at before we record again on Wednesday night for Thursday's episode to drop, Province Creighton, your big one on Tuesday, which mm-hmm. in Omaha, 
Uh, we just talked about how good Providence is. That's a big test on the road. Yeah, I, I want to look at their schedule and see how many road games they've played. I think they beat Seton Hall on the road, but they could use, I think, a few more marquee road wins. No, they played Seton Hall at home. They beat UConn on the road. That was their big one. And then they mm-hmm. lost to Marquette on the road when they got blown out. So that would be big for them to go to Omaha and for Noah Horkler and Nate Watson to continue to play at the level that they've been playing. Because I just keep wondering when Noah, Hork- when Noah Horkler is going to come down to earth. And as he continues to do it, I'm not sure that he ever will. <laughs> it's a great point. Right? So, He's just insane. So there's some big East to, uh, to watch. Yeah, I'm excited. We're we're in the thick of it here. Vilna, I mean, uh, January will be a little slow in terms of quality of games for Villanova, but make sure to to stay tuned in here. Pat and I are having a ton of conversations about bringing guests on and doing some fun things. So we are super excited for this stretch. And when you mentioned it, the we're almost halfway through. That's a little bit dramatic. We're almost halfway through the Big East schedule. This season's flying. Yeah, it really is. So we're, we're getting there and it's been a ton of fun doing this so much fun. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for us then here on the state of the Nova nation podcast presented by VU hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a rating as well and follow us on Twitter at S O N N pod. Be sure to check out VU hoops as well for all different content on the site, a bunch of different articles leading into and after Xavier. But as we said, that will do it for us and Nova nation. That's a wrap. <laughs>